The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. and welcome to another edition of Wizards Half. This is mini-episode 83.5. These are the episodes where we get into all the nitty-gritty details we didn't have time for on the main episode, especially when it's a Wizards wildcard episode. That's right, when it's an episode where all format is out the window, things are just flying willy-nilly, topics here and there. I thought it was so funny that William Bruce West had such an averse reaction to the freedom to talk about whatever you want because he didn't trust himself <laughs> to not say something scandalous or whatever. But meanwhile, Michael's just like, I'm loving this. I can just talk about whatever comes to mind. But I felt like, you know, with Stephen Sapellis there as well, everybody kind of kept us on track. We covered most of the issue. We we went off topic a lot less than I anticipated, so I didn't have a heart attack during the whole process. But either way, I, I thought it was really fun. We got some good feedback from folks that said, hey, I kind of like that format, so I'm sure we will bring it back in the future. But of course, there were a few things that slipped through the cracks. Let's get into that here. <laughs> You know, at the end of the episode, William Bruce West was saying, ah, but we didn't get to this. We didn't get to that. He was like me. He's just like, there was so much to cover. So we invited him back on. Will, glad to have you. Glad to be here. I'm just making myself at home on this feed lately. <laughs> <laughs> glad. I mean, it's it's great to have your insight, and your perspective. I do want to just start out real quick is, you know, everybody really had something to talk about with the covers. You know, that was like a big discussion up front. But the one thing I forgot to mention at the beginning of the episode is that according to the Wizard Big Book of Covers, originally on the Adam Hughes cover design, he had considered including She-Hulk, but Wizard asked him to swap her out for Fairchild from Gen 13. And so that was the fifth time that Jennifer Walters, She-Hulk, almost made the cover of Wizard, but was dropped at the last minute. So it's pretty crazy. Eventually she does get two appearances, but it's well into the 2000s, so... <laughs> She's the Lindsay Buckingham of the what up with that sketch from Saturday Night Live, like always getting bumped to the next show. Deep cut, deep cut. <laughs> oh, all right. But speaking of Gen 13, Will, that was the thing that you had mentioned at the end of the episode. So what were you seeing? Where was it in the issue? In the middle of the issue, there's this section that's kind of like what's coming up this summer in like all the main books. And ultimately, what stuck out to me is one of the titles they talk about, of course, during this era was Gen 13 from Wildstorm, still with Image at this point. And the image they showed, it's a cover of Caitlin Fairchild putting on suntan lotion and grunge kind of mesmerized by her while his ice cream drops on Freefall's back who's lying on the ground in front of him. And the, the reason it jumped out at me is like, okay, this is typical like Gen 13 kind of humor. Grunge was obsessed with Fairchild because she was, as they would say, stacked and never really looked at Freefall, but 
I feel weird in that this is the post-hype era. They've kind of peaked at this point, and you've lost J. Scott Campbell, you've lost Brandon Choi, and now you've got John Arcudi and Gary Frank and Cam Smith. And John Arcudi kind of grounded the series in a way that it didn't really need. It wasn't fun anymore. Ultimately, he moves the team to New York because they had blown up their um, La Jolla compound and everything near the end of the Campbell run. So now they're like in gritty late 90s New York City because keep in mind Giuliani hasn't cleaned it up yet and like the art is what bothers me like don't get me wrong Gary Frank is a great artist although I have said in the past his characters have too many teeth yeah, his, they his characters, them. they're very toothsome. Like, just look at anyone who smiles in one of his books. But, like, he's a very talented artist. But he's not the right fit for this book. You still need somebody who's, like, wacky with a kinetic feel. Like, I almost feel like they should have gone with a Kubert or something. This is almost like getting John Cassidy to draw this book. And that's just not right tonally. And I think that's really kind of what hurt this series there was no reason it had to lose momentum losing j scott campbell it's like yeah his dna is in that series but they could have kept that going i don't know if you're familiar ale garza he was an artist that wildstorm used back then um there was also al rio who seemed like he may have been ghosting campbell near the end he if was you filling ever... in a lot there yeah yeah and if you ever read the gen 13 zine the majority Majority of that is Al Rio, but it looks just like Campbell. So they didn't have to stop the magic. Like why they decided to just like slam on the brakes and change course, it was really detrimental to the series because I've said before, the reason this doesn't work now, it's very of its time. It is woven into the tapestry of the 90s. I mean, there's a character named Grunge. There's a character named Burnout. Like they've tried to bring it back and it just doesn't work work like Archie they've modernized Archie it worked for a couple years but at the end of the day you want him back at pops in a sock hop kind of atmosphere you know and it's kind of like this like gen 13 can't cross y2k like once that happens you lose what makes it special I feel like the only way they could have really made it work, like you say, you have someone who just apes J. Scott Campbell's style and, and goes with it that way, but people would get, ah, you know, we've seen this. What they really should have done is I know the most popular and most valuable later issues are the ones done by Adam Warren. He yes. did covers and then he got to do a few like short story arcs and things like that. He would have been the guy to just give it a whole new attitude and excitement. And because manga was just exploding at that moment, I think that would have been the key if Jim Lee had just like and maybe Adam Ward didn't want to but if he had said hey can you just run with this book for as long as you can I think it really would have kept it in the zeitgeist and kept everybody thinking okay maybe they are doing something a little different here so especially with Joe Mad like making everybody think about manga too like it was just that moment in time but speaking of the moment Will there is a story that is in the coming attraction section that we totally missed that I wanted to bring up here Dancing Queen Dark 
Darkchild creator sinks teeth into Buffy. And this was all about Randy Queen, yes, the creator of Darkchild, you know, who is at Extreme Studios, or maybe it was Maximum Press when he did it originally with Rob Liefeld. And then he's jumping around now, he's at Wildstorm, and this is like his relaunch with Jim Lee. But this is pretty interesting, because it says here, Randy Queen's been bitten by the Hollywood bug. The Darkchild creator appeared earlier this year on two episodes of WB's Buffy the Vampire Slayer as an extra, dancing in the show's Bronze Club. Buffy is shot just up the street from Queen in Torrance, California, so he dropped by one day to check out the set. He was soon recognized and eventually clawed his way into landing the bit part. Quote, not a bad place to be, especially for someone locked to a drawing table 10 hours a day, Queen said. It's a total racket with all these hot girls. And you pick up some fun money. Now, Randy Queen being recognized. There is no way that happened. There is no Randy Queen, hey, we know who you are. (laughs) Right. I mean, most of like the important creators you wouldn't recognize. I'm sorry. That's not fair for me to say that about him. Well, (laughs) you know what I mean. Recently, like people we've interviewed and like people who have talked to the people that were featured and stuff, they've been saying that Wizard did a lot of tweaking, a lot of editorializing, but then also just sometimes making things up to make the world feel like a bigger deal or to make it feel like it was kind of wackier than it was. And if we ever can convince Jim McLaughlin to come on this podcast, I've reached out twice over the years he literally just says not interested but if we ever get him on i gotta ask about that because i'm sure you know it was a lot of his articles in particular had a little bit more shenanigans that i think really occurred so we'll see we'll see if he ever fesses up to it let's throw Uh, this out there what if this never happened at all (laughs) because all all we see is a picture that could have been taken at halloween with a buffy poster in the back and a 20th century fox poster in the back now i haven't been on a live set before but is that commonplace like i think you would have like signs that say Buffy, but does the studio really put up a pennant in the background of like, this is just somebody's Halloween party. Well, that or is that a con? Like this, this could have been at the Wizard World Con or San Diego or something. Yeah. I'm going on record to say that this (laughs) never happened. Okay, stand up for yourself, Randy Queen. It's out there. You tell us. Now, one other thing that didn't happen, but we got some confirmation for. Okay, so this is the opposite side. The buzz box on page 24 of this issue mentions that there was a Wonder Woman, Xena, Warrior Princess crossover in the works, but that never happened. If you look on eBay, you're not going to find it. It's nowhere. Or did it? Because I found out through some research that Gail Simone revealed the truth in a tweet in 2016, and she dropped the bomb that Bo Smith wrote this book. And not only did he write it, according to Simone, the book was written, drawn, but never printed. And she says she got to read it. She thought it was fun. She liked it. So like the whole book was done and there must have just been some rights issues or whatever. Rainy, I don't know. Seems like he would have played ball, but maybe not. I don't know. And it just never happened. That is crazy. Bo Smith's an interesting dude, though. Like 
It's hard to really describe him, but for lack of a better description, he's kind of like the Toby Keith of comics. Like, <laughs> he is like a cowboy. Like, yeah. that's like, and you don't hear a lot about him, like, these days. But around, like, late 90s, early 2000s, I remember he was doing some, like, work, I think maybe with IDW around the time I was kind of, like, around the industry. And, like, I'm sure it's amazing. That's really interesting. I'm gonna... He was very tied in with McFarlane, so he was doing a lot of work with McFarlane so it's just interesting yeah his name would pop up in Wizard he got a full interview when they used to do those in the back of the magazine at one point but yeah I, I just find that fascinating that somewhere out there there's a Wonder Woman Xena crossover that we're never going to see even now like if they do it they're probably just going to start from scratch right the last thing I wanted to bring up here was that just out of nowhere there is a Jim Lee interview in this issue but it's where nobody ever looks and it is right before the price guide in the section where they show all the abbreviations that they use for the different artists and writers right. they always do a little sidebar interview with people and usually it's like kind of an up-and-comer somebody who's not worthy of a full article yet you know but this one is jim lee and they are just goofing around and i thought maybe we could just do a little recreation we'll just go back and forth do you want to be the interviewer or do you want to be jim lee oh wow i want to be jim lee everybody wants to be jim lee <laughs> exactly all right, so Wizard first asks, where are you based? San Diego, California. Have you ever been to the zoo there? I actually have an annual membership. Hey, I'm in New York. Can you get me an annual membership to the Bronx Zoo? I doubt it. Never been to the Bronx Zoo. No prob. So what's your favorite animal? I like the little monkeys. Do I want to know why? They got pink butts. And that's interesting. How? For some reason, they remind me of Jim McLaughlin. Anyway, uh, what's your dream project? I'd want to work with someone on the caliber of Neil Gaiman or Frank Miller. That'll probably never happen, though. It's as likely as me getting you a membership to the Bronx Zoo. <laughs> Man, they got their running gag. They're sticking with it. Ouch! So what comics do you read? Preacher. I read a lot of my stuff in trade paperbacks. Come on, here's a chance to plug Wildstorm stuff. Oh yeah, Wildcore and Stormwatcher, great. Warren Ellis is a genius. He'll love to hear that. Now, who's your favorite image partner? I don't have favorites. It's like asking who's your favorite child. So all the image partners are your children? No, no, no. That's the cliffhanger guys. Well, who's your favorite cliffhanger guy? It'll be Umberto Ramos. Because he's the only one who hands his work in on time. <laughs> How could someone get cheap artwork from you? Trade with me for some cool stuff. For sweet-end artwork, Porsches. For lower-end artwork, maybe some old G.I. Joes. I have a Matchbox Porsche. Silence. Now, Divide Right is about a kid who finds the secrets of the universe on the web. Do you surf the web often? Sad to say I do. I actually buy stuff on the web. Ah, so you're a computer geek. More than just a computer geek. I claim all-around geekdom. How late do you stay up? I have very odd sleeping hours. Is there a superpower you dream about having after staying up late? The ability to fly because there's a real sense of freedom, especially when you're chained to the drawing table on tight deadlines. Also, as a psychology major, when you dream of flying, you're really dreaming of sex. <laughs> <laughs> As a proclaimed computer geek and dreamer of sex, have you ever had cyber sex? No, 
Though I have been asked by a person claiming to be a woman for me and Brandon Choi to get it on. Needless to say, it did not happen. Wow. What is this interview? I mean, this is something you'd show to Jim Lee who would also say this never happened. This Right, right. I talked about pink butts and they reminded me of Jim McLaughlin. Come on. <laughs> like the like clearly Warner Brothers didn't vet him too well before giving him all those <laughs> executive positions that they didn't find this interview <laughs> i mean but this is i just can't believe we missed out on this during the episode because like literally you'd see it you're like oh it's just, just this little sidebar interview it's just he's just going to be promoting wildstorm stuff no <laughs> not right. at all maybe they called him at 2 a.m and he was loopy and they got this but either way all right well to close out we do have to give you jim and todd's hype machine We got to do the tally here. So in this issue, Jim Lee was mentioned six times. Todd McFarlane beat him by one with seven, which brings our running total to Jim Lee, 491 mentions. Todd McFarlane, 461. It's still on. We will see how it goes. And uh, Will, thanks so much for coming back for this. It's just fun to, again, just grab these odds and ends and do what we could with them. Yeah, thanks for having me. I love me some Wizard Magazine. And uh, where do we want to find you? Well, this month, you get not one, but two episodes of Remember That Show, Halloween-themed spooky cartoons. We're talking about the mini monsters from the comic strip, and we're talking about Little Dracula. So be there, be ready for it, and check it out. But now that we've gone a little wild, let's get back to normal here for the mini episodes and check out Cap's Kooky Contest. All right, our first one here, Wizard Entertainment Presents Halloween Party Time, says, Want to go? Here's what you gotta do. In 50 words or less, tell us why the heck you think you should be invited to our most excellent Halloween party. Just why the heck we should let you come join in our fun. Are you the biggest wizard fan on the planet? Is your costume the coolest thing on earth? Are you willing to clean the bathroom when the party's over? You decide why you're worthy and let us know. We'll pick the one entry we think deserves to come and play with us and send that person the mighty invitation. But because many unspeakable things usually happen at these shindigs, you must be 18 years or older to win. So get writing and get started on that Halloween costume. You can't come without one. Now the grand prize, join the wizard bullpen. One crazy wizard fanatic wins the experience of a lifetime. Transportation to and from wizard entertainment, two nights in a stylish hotel, or maybe just a Motel 6, the chance to actually work at wizard for a day, and we mean work, and the highlight of it all, the opportunity to attend the world-famous, highly exclusive, wizard Halloween party. This is the party that your mother warned you about. There'll be wizardites, celebrities galore, and more silly superheroes costumes than you ever thought possible. You never know. You may even wind up on Entertainment Tonight. And then there's an asterisk and it says, odds of actually appearing on Entertainment Tonight, one in infinity. <laughs> so there you go. Not likely at all. But man, can you imagine, yeah, being one of the geeks who had been reading all about the Wizard Halloween parties, seeing the photo evidence of their shenanigans and then getting to go. That would have been fun. This contest is sponsored by Wizard Entertainment and no one throws a party like we do. So the scary legal stuff. 
contest is open to anyone except employees of Wizard Entertainment, their immediate families, and that poor guy from Dubuque who crashed the party last year and has yet to make it home. Dude, we told you not to drink that stuff. <laughs> And as for our next little joke here, it says winners will be selected based on originality and creativity by Wizard Entertainment. No one gets out alive. <laughs> Very, very ominous, this party. All right, now on to our next contest here. This is one that Michael actually pointed out, but the thing that he did not point out was what you would actually win. So this was, as you'll recall, Superboy in a Speedo. Yes, this is called the DC Summer Fun Contest. And so uh, what you would win here, the grand prize, the Essential Summer Reading Library. One big kahuna wins the 25 must-own DC trade paperbacks, Batman Arkham Asylum, Batman the Dark Knight Returns, Batman the Killing Joke, Batman Nightfall Part 1 and Part 2, Batman Year 1, The Big Book of Urban Legends, The Books of Magic, Camelot 3000, Death, The High Cost of Living, The Death of Superman, JLA New World Order, Kingdom Come, The Man of Steel, Preacher Gone to Texas, The Return of Superman, Ronan, The Sandman, Preludes and Nocturnes, The Sandman, Dream Country, Star Trek, Dead of Honor, Stuck Rubber Baby, The System, V for Vendetta, Watchmen, and World Without a Superman. So that is quite a library. Uh, first prize, five boys of summer each win five randomly selected trade paperbacks from DC's Essential 25. Second prize, ten surfer dudes each score a random trade paperback from DC's Essential 25. So this whole idea of the Essential 25, is that something that literally DC said, like, we're always going to keep these in print? Or, like, who determined that? Is that Wizard that decided that's what is the best that DC had to offer? And just to remind you, the whole purpose of this contest was to draw DC characters at the beach having fun but they say interestingly enough that they want you to include two photos of yourself with each entry but then they add oh yeah and feel free to make the goofiest face you can <laughs> now this contest is sponsored by dc comics and man can they grill up a piece of chicken yum yum so now we have for the legal text the beach blanket lingo instead of Beach Blanket Bingo, which was an old late 50s, early 60s, I think early 60s uh, beach film. Uh, but anyway, here we go. Contest is open to anyone except employees of Wizard Entertainment, DC Comics, their immediate families, and anyone who smokes at the beach. That is really foul. Yeah, so hey, not a fan. Don't want to get any smoke in your face in addition to getting sand kicked in your face if you're a scrawny weakling, right? All right, let's check out here what they also have. Wizard Entertainment is not responsible for lost late, misdirected, mutilated entry or entry scented covered with sand, barbecue sauce, or suntan lotion. And they actually have one more here. They're really, like, doing their best. It says, If an entrant, having been declared as a winner, does not accept the prize or the prize or prize notification is undeliverable, another entry will be selected and will dunk the entrant in the pool. <laughs> so there you go. All right, let's get to our contest here. This one is interesting because this is just like a total promotion. Like this is not an official wizard contest, but it's designed to look like one. And it says Hurricane Comics presents Get Racy with Adam Hughes and Chassis. And there's this girl in kind of this racing uniform, but of course it's super low cut. And it says this month our retro 40s redhead Chassis has raced to a new home with Hurricane Comics. To celebrate the all new Chassis number one, volume two, we asked Adam Hughes to use his magical powers and create a fabulous cover for the occasion. 
Then we thought, hey, let's really celebrate and give away the original pen and ink art in a contest, which, trust us, was a very difficult decision. It would have looked terrific in our office, but our loss is your gain. Jump onto Team Chassis and experience the deadly curves of flying rocket car racing. How to bring Chassis home? Easy, just tell us Chassis' last name. That's all you have to do, really. The first entry we randomly pick with the correct answer wins. Grand prize, one lucky guy or gal will win the original pen and ink drawing from the cover of Chassis' number one, volume two, and an 11 by 17 laser color poster digitally colored by Adam Hughes himself. First prize, 10 other rocket race car fans will win an 11 by 17 full color laser poster of the Adam Hughes cover for Chassis' number 11, volume two. Second prize, 20 other Zoot suitors will receive a signed copy of Chassis' number one, volume two, signed by Chassis' artist and co-creator, William O'Neill. So there you go. You're finding out who's really involved in this project. So speaking of Adam Hughes, I just have to say, when we posted the cover for this issue 83, the Adam Hughes, you know, sexy women cover, people were going gaga over this thing. I mean, it's getting shared all over the place. People just said, like, this was my favorite wizard cover ever. So, I mean, definitely Adam Hughes always makes an impact. I know that Michael was kind of harsh on it. It may have sounded like I was agreeing. I was just kind of echoing what Michael was saying. Oh, okay, so you're saying he disappointed you. I personally think it's a fantastic cover because I think what Adam Hughes does, this is what I was reflecting on, is, you know, there are a lot of people who draw quote unquote sexy women in comics and they make them look too provocative, which is to say like they look like they come from a porno magazine. But I think Adam Hughes' greatest strength is that he projects this femininity, this beauty, but it always comes through with, like, strength. Like, his women never seem fragile. They never seem like they're being exploited in any way. It seems like, no, they're taking this pose. This was their idea. They're just showing off and loving life and all those things. So, to me, it really stands out when you look at Adam Hughes' art versus anybody else. Makes a difference to have him doing your stuff, that's for sure. So, that wasn't an official win contest, but there is one more that they were sponsoring. Chaos Comics presents Hunt for Smiley. It says here, June is Smiley Month. Who? You know, the psychotic button who's evil Ernie's wisecracking little buddy. All you have to do to help celebrate and win that cool loot below is to go through every single page of this kick-ass issue and hunt down the renegade smileys. Keep count of how many times you come across his smiling mug and put that number on the entry form below. We'll choose the winners randomly from everyone who sends in the correct number of smileys located in this issue. Be sure to check every page. Smiley's a crafty little bugger and you never know where he'll turn up. So the grand prize? One smiling somebody wins the one-shot comic Smiley Number 1, autographed by writer Jesse McCann, artist Ivan Rees, and cover artist Jack Gray. The Smiley Number 1 Mystery Premium Edition, a Smiley poster, the Smiley bumper sticker, a Smiley mouse pad, a Smiley vanity license plate, a groovy Smiley watch, and all the Smiley original art done by Gray and used throughout this issue. First prize, five happy fellas, each with Smiley Number 1, autographed by writer Jesse McCann, artist Ivan Reyes, and cover artist Jack Gray. A Smiley poster, the Smiley bumper sticker, a Smiley mouse pad, a Smiley vanity license plate, and a groovy Smiley watch. Second prize, Ted Cheery Chaps, each with Smiley number one, autographed by writer Jesse McCann, artist Ivan Reyes, and cover artist Jack Gray. Okay, so 
And when I first opened this issue, I definitely noticed there is some sort of hunt going on here because Smiley is, you know, one of those characters that really stands out when you see him. And it feels like they hadn't done this for a while. I don't even know if it was all the way back. They did a Blank Man contest for the David Wayans movie Blank Man that Michael and I love. And you had to find the Blank Man throughout the issue, you know, and then there was also another element of the contest. But so as far as where Smiley is here, though, so he's on the table of contest Ted's page. He's right above John Byrne's head and he says, welcome to the big show. So you got him there and then immediately he shows up in the magic words column and he's wearing a postman's hat carrying a bag full of letters and says, I'm going postal, baby, which is uh, one of those phrases that we just don't use anymore, right? Probably for good reason, but that was definitely a buzz phrase, I feel like, in the 90s, like talking about going crazy, freaking out. All right, next up here though, he does appear in the wizard news section and he says all the ooze that fits instead of news and he's wearing one of those old-timey pressman hats you know like the fedora with the little press pass sticking out of the top of it so he is all over the place here so that's three his fourth appearance is the bite this section which is something we don't read a lot in the issues but it talks about all the stuff going on on the wizard world website or aol chat rooms and things so he's actually biting on it because it says bite this but like a megabyte and he's going yeah Yum, yum. So number five is in the Deadpool movie casting call section right next to Nicole Eggert. And he's got sunglasses on. He's going, want to see my casting couch, baby? Oh, Smiley, you're going to get me too, man. Can't make that joke anymore. And another thing we didn't mention was that there is a basic training drawing tutorial with Tony Daniel, who teaches you how to draw Spawn. And so you have Smiley wearing, you know, kind of a military... Is it called a pith helmet? What's it called when it's American military? Anyway, and he says, Spawn, who the blank is that? So he's got a cigar in his mouth. He's acting like Spawn ain't nothing. It's all about evil Ernie. So I think that was six, but then he is in the toy chest section as part of the wish list for all the toys they wish got made. And he says, what? No smiley figures? Fair. <laughs> Fair. That's what I don't hear often. So that's seven. Number eight is in the video stuff section. And he's got an old school like Atari joystick in front of him. He's like, hands off the joystick. We know what you're going for there. Come on, smiley. Number nine is in the homemade heroes. He says, ugh, Super Sculpey binds me up. Are you eating the Super Sculpey there, Smiley? Seems like not a good idea. If you guys don't recall, the Super Sculpey was like this kind of clay stuff that everybody used to add on to their action figures when they were customizing them. All right, are we going for Ted? Let's see. Okay, so there is a profile on Leave It to Chance from Homage Comics, James Robinson and Paul Smith, who everybody seems to love, but I have no frame of reference for. But Smiley is turned to the side. He says, profile, eh? Check this out. So it's kind of an interesting because he's just floating on a black background. So it kind of looks like he has a little bit of dimension there. Number 11 is in the header to the top 10 heroes and villains section. He says, what are these yahoos got that I don't? I would have thought they would have put him with the board of the month just to make Make fun of him, which we'll get to soon enough. But then he shows up immediately in the next section for picks, and he says, "Here's a winner," because he's got a finger picking up his nose, even though he doesn't have a nose. There's just like this random hand coming up, so that one's kind of fun. Get it? Picks, pick your nose. All right, all right. So that is 12 so far. There's not very many pages left, but he is in the report card section. He's got his mortar board on, like he just graduated, and he says, "Yes, straight fair." 
So I guess Fe must have been his, like, exclamation in the Evil Ernie comics that I just don't recall. Uh, but yeah, so that one's interesting instead of straight A's, straight Fe. Uh, anything else, Smiley? Are you still there? This is cool. So in the manga scene section, they actually draw him in a manga style. So he's got the big eyes. That's pretty clever. I, I like that one a lot. He says, turn in Japanese, boss. But yeah, but that's kind of neat. Because yeah, I wasn't expecting them to do you know, an actual whole style style change. So if you don't recall, under the top 10 creators list, Buried Treasure is a section where they always kind of, hey, go find this old issue that you didn't know about. And this one, because it's Buried Treasure, he's dressed up like a pirate. And he says, argh, you scurvy dog. A smiley has bones, you know, like crossbones behind his head. But one of the bones is turned into a peg leg, which is really creative. That is just fun. All right. Anything else? Are you still there, Smiley? Because I think, is that 13 or 14 i've already lost count because man we're just racking them up here yeah it looks like that was it but man you gotta hand it to him for actually changing everything you know it could have just been a generic smiley they cut out of an issue and then just dropped it in random places but they actually took the time to make him comment on each section he was appearing in change up the art so that is really impressive so there you go a fun contest hope somebody won all that swag and enjoyed it Hey geeks, it's time to take a break from this episode to tell you about our sponsor HalloweenCostumes.com and the great selection of costumes available, plus how you can get 15% off your entire order by using the link in our show notes. Now, the clock is ticking and I still haven't decided what I'm going to be for Halloween this year. I was browsing the HalloweenCostumes.com site today. I found out they have a full-on Peacemaker costume. I'm still waiting for a season two announcement on that show. And their Ant-Man costume looks pretty sweet. My wife loves Paul Rudd so I probably could please her with that one. Uh, they also have a plethora of Robin costumes from Burt Ward to 90s animated series Dick Grayson or comics accurate Tim Drake. You can find your flavor of Boy Wonder. Their Shazam movie and comic book costumes are truly impressive as well. For the ladies, they have some fun stuff like they have exclusive She-Hulk and RC from Transformers costumes. They got Powerpuff Girls. They got Jessica Drew Spider-Woman and a Shuri Black Panther costume. If you need couples ideas, I noticed Adam West Batman and Julie Newmore Catwoman costumes that look fantastic. They also have all the Incredibles. If you're looking forward to the new movie, there's a Jason Momoa Aquaman and Mira costume combo you can do. Of course, there's so much more to choose from, including cartoon and movie icons, video game heroes, and more. So I can't make up my mind. I'm sure you will be more decisive than me. Just follow the link in our show notes today to get 15% off your entire order at Halloween costumes.com between now and October 31st. And hey, let's get back to the show. Hold on to your hats and glasses because we're about to go back to the... So there was a letter here that really stood out to me because this is just kind of a, a sign of the times. We know they became a big deal many years later with the MCU, but David P. Kelly of Panama City, Florida says, Dear Jim, whatever happened to the Infinity Gems, huh? Where are they? And McLaughlin responds, Tom Brevoort again supplies an answer. Last time we saw the Infinity Gems, they, along with their keeper, Adam Warlock, were over in the Ultraverse. And now that Warlock's returning in a limited series later this year, I wouldn't be surprised to see the gems turn up too. But I just, I think that's something that so many people forget about. That at the end of the Ultraverse after Marvel had purchased Malibu, they did this whole thing where they were crossing over 
characters, right? You know, Loki was in the Ultraverse. Black Knight was in the Ultraverse. You know, like, they kind of were just trying to make it all one universe. It didn't take. Nobody cared. But I just find that fascinating that up to this point, for a few years, the Infinity Gems were just in another dimension in the Ultraverse. So another topic I was surprised nobody on our panel jumped into is this survey that is inside the Magic Words column. It says... Should Marvel produce its own titles or hire other companies to do it instead? So they're saying the reason for this was, in light of Event Comics, Joe Quesada and Jimmy Palmiotti being rehired by Marvel Comics to publish three monthly titles and rotating miniseries beginning this September, Wizard wanted to know what fans thought of Marvel contracting other publishers like Event and Jim Lee and Rob Liefeld to produce select titles. The majority believed it should be up to Marvel to create all of its comics. Quote, It's a shame that Marvel needs to outsource, said one respondent saying their editors can't handle it means that the house of ideas ain't full of ideas. Another fan added, quote, instead of falling back on guys who've made their name at Marvel, maybe it should be grooming the next wave of up-and-comers. Still, I can't wait to read Daredevil. So as far as the results, I mean, it was either yes or no, right? Yay or nay? And 69% said Marvel should be the ones handling their own books, do not outsource. 31% said other companies should do it. As for my opinion, I think you know, Marvel editorial probably still should have kept an eye on things, but I think they would have done well to bring in other talent, especially those who had made their name in a big way on independent books showing they have a style, they have their own flavor that they could bring to Marvel. So it's not like, you know, cartoon books, Jeff Smith handles all Marvel titles for a month. Although I bet that actually would have sold pretty well if they did a bone month where all the Marvel characters were drawn in the bone style. I think, yeah, they, they would have had a hit on their hands at least you know got them some attention but speaking of letting other creators handle marvel it's time to get to a story i wanted to talk about id So, Chaos Reigns at Marvel in October, redesigned characters planned for Halloween project. So, we're still in the Halloween season here. If you're looking for something to read, something to track down before the month is out, here's what it says, quote, I'm not the crossover king, Chaos Comics publisher and creator Brian Polito said, quote, but this is the coolest sandbox I could ever play in. So, that's Marvel Comics Supernatural sandbox. Polito and other Chaos creators, known for their modern horror tales, take over Marvel's Ghost Rider. Brother Voodoo, Black Cat, Satana, Werewolf, and Gargoyle in a weekly four-issue October miniseries called The Supernaturals. Quote, and we're doing ground-up redesigns, Polito said, to make sure it reeks Halloween in every panel. Polito has a free hand to make Marvel scary characters for this what-if style series. Quote, we're busting hump to make these guys cool and vital for the millennium, Polito said. Quote, some may think these guys are fifth striggers, but to us, the horror guys are special. We want to bring new life into them. Polito promises new looks for everyone except Ghost Rider, where back to basics is the plan. Quote, he's a flaming skull in a leather jacket on a motorcycle. I've racked my brain. I can't top that. The supernatural stems from a prior event where all of Marvel's normal heroes were mysteriously swept off the earth. Now, 13 years later, the same circumstances that led to the event are occurring again. Marvel's supernaturals, of course, try to bring the heroes back. The series is plotted by Polito, scripted by Mark Andreco, and drawn by Ivan Reed. Jim Ballant supplies cover art. Polito also has an open door to bring chaos characters into the mix, but is hedging on whether or not to do it. Quote, The 70s supernatural marvels are some of my favorite comics, he said. I don't know if it would be appropriate. And the redesigns? Will they stick? Quote, At the end of the day, it's Marvel's call, Polito said. If we've done our job well, 
They will. So this is really curious. I've never heard anybody talk about this project. And I actually, I feel like we got to talk to uh, our upcoming guest when he is on and see if he knows about it. Yes, for episode 84, I'll just drop it here. This is wild card. I don't have to save it till the end. But uh, Michael Schwartz, you know, 50 Cent Comic Collector on Instagram. He's been on several times. He will be joining us. And he has like a huge collection of horror comics. And so I'd be curious to know if he has got one of or two or all of these. Um, now, the other other thing that we didn't talk about in this episode, which I feel like we posted an ad on social media and everybody was excited about it, was Star of the Future? Famed comic colorist Brian Haberlin and art veteran Wills Portacio launch Avalon Studios in August with their collaborative project Stone, the story of an actor drawn into a comic book unreality. Avalon follows with Hellcop by writer Joe Casey, hey, recent guest on The Wizard Files, and art newcomer Gilbert Monsanto in October, which tells the tale of a man who patrols the gate between Hell and Earth. That's followed by the December debut of Aria, about a woman who runs a curio shop where real gods and goddesses like Zeus and Hera hang out. Haberlin writes, an art shown here is provided by Filipino newcomer Jay Anacleto. Quote, I got some old samples of his work from a friend, Haverlin said. They looked intriguing, so I gave him a call. The new stuff he sent me was stellar. So stellar that Haverlin is using technology to bring a different look to Anacleto's work. Quote, there's no way in hell I'm going to have someone ink his pencils, Haverlin said. They're too beautiful, so I'm going direct to color for a cool Alex Ross kind of feel. Comic art is a long way from Anacleto's previous profession, dentistry. Quote, we're saving him from root canals and impacted molars, Haverlin joked. But this is crazy because in this, they actually have that picture that they said, just a, it's kind of a woman wrapped various fabrics and stuff, but it says, is newcomer Jay Anacleto the next Alex Ross? Well, based on the fact that I've never heard of Jay Anacleto, maybe a lot of you guys know his work, but it has not crossed my path. I, I would say no. But anyway, I just thought that was kind of fascinating that they're, number one, so like quiet quietly announcing this Avalon Studios launch from Wills Portacio, which again, I feel is is a little bit late. There was just one of those situations where it feels like he could have got on that a little bit earlier. Last thing here I wanted to do is their thumbing off section, because it's always cool to look and see, okay, what was the most exciting news and what were they most upset about? So thumbs up, Witchblade Multimedia Explosion. The successful comic has just been optioned for 11 live action TV episodes on TNT and video game maker Eidos Interactive, the brain behind Tomb Raider, is planning to create a Witchblade video game. You go, girl! <laughs> oh, man, we just don't say you go, girl, too much anymore. I want to say that uh, with our upcoming, it's kind of a bonus episode meets the Wizard Files. It's a hybrid of sorts, but we're going to be covering the Witchblade special with David Wohl, the co-writer, co-creator of Witchblade. And man, he shared some fantastic stories about that. We get a little bit of an inside track on what was going on with the Witchblade TV series. So stay tuned for that. That is coming up next week. But also they say here, George Perez. Every month on Avengers, a team book no less, penciler George Perez goes the extra mile to fully render both foregrounds and backgrounds. He continues to show today's young artists why they're merely influenced by him, and that taking the easy way out with blank backgrounds cheapens their craft. Give us a praise to the late George Perez when he was really coming back in a big way. Now the last one here, this is interesting, this is a thumbs up. Sovereign Seven's demise. Congratulations to DC Comics for finally pulling the plug on this 
this dog. S7 read slower than molasses, had too many characters, overwritten dialogue, and confusing storylines that made our head spin. Thanks for putting this series out of our misery. Which is something that I do feel as well when I see how many years that book ran, and nobody has ever talked about it. Very few people online have said, oh, I like Sovereign 7. There's like two or three, you know, and I'm sure they're Claremont devotees. But yeah, they really, really gave him a lot of rope, and they really gave him a chance, and yeah. Sounds like ultimately they were destined for the quarter bids, which is where I see them. Alright, thumbs down. Superman's return. Just when we thought Superman could get any worse, enter Superman forever. Okay, Supes is back in his classic costume, but can anyone explain how? Superman red and blue just merged and turned into the old Superman, and everything's back to normal now? Ugh. The only thing worse than bad stories are non-stories. I mean, you just couldn't satisfy Wizard at this point in time for some reason. Like, no matter what, they had kind of jumped off the clothes saga that was a few years beyond it now and Superman was their whipping boy where they're just like ah I can't stand this anymore Superman's the worst Superman's the worst and then they get him back and they complain wizard you just you gotta be happy he's back and however it happened look forward to the stories that are coming come on but hey, I feel like I was getting just a little too wild there. Gotta bring things back down here. We're gonna check out the top 10 heroes and villains list. As per usual, our number one is Witchblade. Well, well, Miss Sarah Pazzini, aka the winsome wearer of the wickedly wild Witchblade, claws her way back to the top of our chart this month, and why not? When you think about it, there's so few really original ideas in mainstream comic titles these days. You got your Cape Crusaders, your Men of Steel, your web-slinging wall crawlers, but until Witchblade came along, how many superheroes were stone cold babes slathered with organic sentient glop capable of kicking your ass from here to Philly? Answer? Zero. There need to be more never before seen comic concepts like Witchblade here, damn it, except Nakeder. See, you were making a good point there, wizard, and then you just had to throw that one in there. I think she's plenty naked. Alright, next one here in the number two spot is Wolverine. Adamantium claws, bone claws, feral, berserker, yellow costume, brown costume, guy wearing a stupid eye patch. Seems like no matter how Marvel dishes up its Wolverine, fans will line up around the block for big Steven helping. There ain't no big secret why, neither. Wolvie's the man every comic reader really dreams of being. Think about it. He rides dangerous motorcycles, hands bullies their intestines and his mom never ever makes him take a bath. If the local YMCA had a Weapon X program, every kid in town would be pounding down the door. Believe it. <laughs> Number three is Spawn. Just how popular is Spawny guy? Let's put it in layman's terms. If Spawn went to your high school, he'd be dating every cheerleader simultaneously. Spawn would copy your homework and, when the teacher found out, she'd believe Spawn, not you. Spawn would be the football team's starting quarterback and throw five touchdowns in the championship game. Spawn parents would buy him a Mustang for his 16th birthday, your mom would ask you, why can't you be more like Spawn? Your girlfriend would be wearing his varsity jacket. Spawn's a 
jerk. <laughs> I love the idea of Spawn as just the popular jock. That cracks me up. Alright, number four, Batman. During his oft-repeated origin story, Batman called criminals a cowardly lot. That's not exactly fair. It doesn't matter if you're a sniveling weenie or a green beret. If a guy dressed like a bat swoops down on you in a dark alley, you're gonna crap in your shoes. Plus, Batman really likes to hit people. He punched Hitman so hard, Hitman barfed. That's pretty hard. Bravery has nothing to do with it. If a psycho in a bat suit who hits people so hard they barf jumps you, you're gonna make wee-wee and scream for your mommy. But this kind of goes to, you know, the point that was made when we were talking about, you know, who is the greatest American superhero and Steven kind of brought up, yeah, Batman just kind of goes around beating up people. He's a little bit intense, taking the power of his wealth a little too seriously. Number five, the darkness. Want to know why so many grown-ups hate comics? Check out hitman Jackie Estacado here. He's armored from the eyeballs down. Want to know what the bulk of his dialogue should be? <laughs> Which means, I'm so stinking popular, the laws of common sense don't even apply to me. And who boy, is he ever popular. The Darkness Server 11 sold in excess of one bajillion copies. You'd wear a faceplate too, drooling all over that moolah. <laughs> Number six is Deadpool. Deadpool's popular. The Deadpool starring Clint Eastwood wasn't all that popular. Let us delve deeper. Deadpool's one of the wisecracking stars of the Marvel Universe who mixes hilarity and action with a grand sense of the absurd. The Deadpool had Jim Carrey choke on his vomit and die, had a five second cameo by Guns N' Roses, and Eastwood got chased by an exploding remote controlled dude buggy. Let us delve deeper no longer, Deadpool fans. This kind of makes us ill. Yeah, in the Deadpool, Jim Carrey is like the lead singer of a, a, you know, a hair metal band and he's singing Welcome to the Jungle. It's bizarre. All right, number seven, Captain America. Not too long ago, Captain America was about as popular as a mosquito up your nose. Then he drifted into a parallel universe for a year, came back, and blammo! He's got not one regularly monthly title, but two, and why not? He did save your asses from the Axis powers in WW2, you know. If it weren't for Cap, you'd be goose-stepping down to the local comic processing facility, Mach Schnell, to pick up your monthly copy of Divine Reich in greats. Uh, but yeah, it is interesting because the one thing we brought up, you know, was mentioned that Michael said, there's no Captain America on this competition for the greatest American superhero. And as we posted about that on social media, a lot of you commented, yeah, but Cap wasn't really that popular. Cap wasn't really that popular. I mean, I guess he wasn't really that popular leading up to it, but this moment in time, he was exploding in a big way. So it just feels like Wizard would have had their finger on the pulse for that. All right, number eight is Iron Man. Really? Climate control or no climate control? That that Iron Man armor's gotta get pretty ripe in the summer. It's not the heat, it's the humidity. But who the hell cares? He's Iron Man. No one's gonna hold his nose around a guy who can punch a hole through anyone's torso with a repulsor ray. Of course, regardless of the inevitable B.O., life is rosy for the Golden Avenger. Fans are snapping up his book by the bucketful. Ah, the sweet smell of success. Now, number nine is Preacher. Jay Leto says that using those naughty curse words is just a crutch for when you can't think of anything original. Know what Jesse Custer here would say to that? Probably something unprintable. Then he'd shoot Leto through his eye socket. That's pretty original. We'd say that would make Preacher the Andrew Dice Clay of comics, except Preacher is actually funny. Maybe we could get him to shoot Clay through the eye socket. Now that'd be comedy. Aw, oh, come on, you don't like the Dice Man? Well, I definitely wasn't up on the Dice Man either. I, I knew him more from Ford Fairlane than I did from his actual stand-up, although Recently at a thrift store, I picked up this two-tape collection from the 80s of his stand-up, so kind of interesting. All right, number 10 is Superman. <clears throat> 
Excuse us, Superman. We're afraid you're gonna have to leave. This chart is only for popular heroes, and your Superman Red and Superman Blue are some ridiculous nonsense the fans hate you for. Nice threads, though, I Hey, wait a second! You're back in your old costume? With a smash hit comic called Superman Forever with the lenticular cover? Right this way, sir. Glad you're back. Stay away from those publicity stunts and maybe you can hang out a while. So interesting here that they were still saying, oh, we love Superman Forever, when we just read that they were giving a thumbs down to Superman Forever. Hmm. Can't seem to make up their mind over there at Wizard how they feel. All right, well, that does it for our top 10 heroes, but let's get to the bottom of the barrel with our Mort of the Month. All right, this month it is the weasel. Hey, buddy, gonna munch on some grindage. Oh, wait, wrong weasel. Although I kind of wish there was a Polly Shore comic now. It is brief moment of fame. Anyway, they say here, oh, brother, a giant weasel? Well, we suppose you got to do the best with what the good Lord gave you. Hey, wait a minute. That's not a giant mutated weasel. That's just a costume. Some idiot named John Monroe, a professor at Vandermeer University, got all bitchy about his tenure, donned a furry weasel costume, and started bumping off faculty members. The firestorm came along and beat him like an ugly stepchild a couple times. Just goes to show, kids, that no matter how bad you want that dental plan. Dressing up like a dopey rodent is never the answer. So this is interesting to me because I'm assuming that either they took this character and eventually did mutate him into a weasel man and then he became the character that shows up in the Suicide Squad that James Gunn used or did they just like kind of retcon the whole idea? That's interesting because definitely they're talking about DC's the weasel. Was there ever? Oh that actually reminds me. So coming up uh, I was just reading ahead you know prepping for issue 84 in our coverage there and there is a crossover between Witchblade and some comic called Weasel Guy I have never heard of Weasel Guy I've heard of the Badger but I've never heard of Weasel Guy and I am so curious to know if any of you know about that as we get ready here because I mean I understand that Top Cow was kind of crossover crazy but that one feels like a step too far like a totally unheard of comic book character anyway alright let's get on to our next segment here it's time to check out our report card. Now, this is interesting here. I want to mention that I talked to Andrew Carden on Instagram, who is one of the contributors to this particular section of the magazine, and he was talking about how reading Lobo and why they gave it an F rating last time around was just, it was such a slog. I said, wait, did you write that review specifically? He said, oh, well, the reviews were all written together. Like, we voted, we read everything that month together, we had a meeting, and then we voted. So it wasn't like each one of them got a signed a specific comic to rate. So I thought that was kind of interesting behind the scenes thing here. But this here, they're talking about first up Cable. Cable channels good characters. And obviously we talked with Joe Casey at length about his run on Cable. So this is covering the James Robinson issues 48 to 50 and the Joe Casey's 51 to 55 with Jose Ladron and Juan Velasco doing the art. What you need to know. Set back in time from 2000 years of the future, Nathan Summers, aka Cable, gifted with the powers of telepathy and telekinesis, has one 
one mission to stop the evil apocalypse before he can set in motion the events which will create Cable's dark future. The good. Amid a promising setup which involves the Hellfire Club hunting a newspaper reporter who's uncovered its secret plans, Cable's characters shine forth. Reporter Irene Merriweather is likable, good-natured, tough, and as an everyday person provides a great link for readers to jump into the story. The loner Cable comes across as heroic and reserved yet passionate. Above all, he's Machiavellian in his pursuit of his mission, which is finally spelled out for us. Kill Apocalypse to save the future. To illustrate Cable's the ends justify the means mentality, issue number 52 has Cable accepting the aid of an ex-Nazi war criminal. The artwork's Jack Kirby meets manga style paves new ground with panels so beautifully detailed that you could spend hours studying the artwork. From the Inquiring Eye News Office, issue number 48, to the Boston Skyline, issue number 49, the artist's eye for detail is masterful. The action-packed layouts are gripping and don't let go. Just check out the scene where Cable's breaking into Donald Pierce's security-tight home in issue 49. I do have to say, when they mention that Inquiring Eye News Office, when I was reading through these issues, just looking at the detail of everything on the desks, everything on the floors that Jose Ledron was drawing in there, I was just like, wow, that is super detailed. But they weren't reading with rose-colored glasses, so now we have the bad. The six-part The Hellfire Hunt storyline is a huge letdown. Though it has a setup that sucks us right in, the rest of the pacing is way too slow. The story should have been told in three issues and ended with issue number 50 when Cable confronts the Hellfire Club for the first time. Instead, it's drawn out to six issues and bogged down with three extra anticlimactic issues. On top of all that, the storyline centers around the Hellfire Club and Cable Hunting Apocalypse, who never even shows up till a lame cameo in the epilogue. Though we like the artwork, it doesn't seem to fit with Cable. As stunning as the backgrounds are, the figures evoke too much of a retro look with their Kirby-esque renderings. In a book so heavily involved with the future, old-fashioned looking figures seem out of place and distracting, particularly when placed in an ultra-detailed backdrop. The Buzz. Cable's popularity is rising as Jose Ladron's refreshingly, refreshingly different art style gains a following, and Joe Casey's strong writing earns him another Marvel book, The Incredible Hulk, starting this summer. The Skitty? We're attracted to the characters, but Cable's stories need to be more focused in order to allow these characters to flourish. We'll stick around to see if the plots pick up. So, right here, remember when we interviewed Joe Casey, he said that they made an offhanded comment by pulling something from a panel, right? Well, this is the issue he was talking about. So they pull a panel of Cable kind of walking through some snowy mountains. He says, we're not even close to being finished yet. And then their commentary below says, you said it, Cable. The slow plotting of issues number 51 to 53 killed the awesome setup of the Hellfire Hunt. So there he goes. The ultimate grade they give it is a C plus appropriate for Cable. Huh? Anyway, let's get into the next one here, which is the Coven. They call it a confusing brew. So this is the Jeff Loeb and Ian Churchill. This was from Awesome Entertainment. What you need to know. Uh, there's this group called the Coven made up of five people, Black Mass, Phantom, Scratch, Spellcaster, and Phenomena, with special powers who somehow join forces and go around with the sole purpose of, uh, stopping something, and, uh, they know all about something? <laughs> I love that writing. Anyway, the good. The art has a nice, clean style that conveys some interesting visuals. A good example from issue number four shows the villainous Pentacle throwing an astral star at Phantom, knocking her astral 
astral body out of her corporeal one. Along those lines, there's some pretty interesting character stuff as well. Scratch is a Catholic priest who's been possessed by a mischievous demon. Phenomenon, who's got non-supermodel looks, is a breath of fresh air among the tons of hot chicks roaming today's market. And finally, the initial mystery surrounding just who or what the coven is is actually intriguing, particularly Phenomena's who-do-you-trust predicament of the first two issues. The bad. We could sum up this book in one word. Huh? Coven is so insanely confusing, we're confused as to what the point of the series is. We originally thought it was to stop the evil group Pentad from acquiring five objects of power, as we were told in issue number three, but apparently we were wrong when the objects were all found the next issue. Then there's all the Cain and Abel biblical references throughout the series, which culminated in Cain's resurrection, we think. The lack of vital plot information completely baffled us. As for the characters themselves, it's unfortunate that the only characterization we get is the little intro biographies on the inside front cover. We'd rather read and learn about these guys through the stories, not through a small paragraph that sums up their lives before we've even started the issue. Learning about Scratch's demonic possession could really be cool, but in the story, all we see is one demon calling him a traitor, and after Spellcaster's mother is killed by the Pentad, she suddenly joins up with the Coven, but we're wondering how she's even connected with them in the first place. She just suddenly joins the team when Black Mass shows up. And on a more minor yet annoying point, for absolutely no reason whatsoever, random words are colored red. Not only are these distracting, but they serve no purpose. The buzz. Sales are doing well enough on the coven that it survived the recent awesome purge, which cut the company's line down to the bare bones. The skinny? No point. No purpose. Little characterization. Besides all that, we have no idea where to begin to criticize the coven. Heck, the only reason this book didn't flunk is because it has creative visuals and is a super quick read. The grade? A D. Oh man, though, just that whole concept of we have no idea where to begin to criticize it, like, that's the most damning thing you could say about anything. It's just like, I don't even know what this is. <laughs> Alright, next one here is Catwoman, which again, it's hard to believe Catwoman was still being published at this time. It just felt like a relic of the early 90s, but it says pick of the litter box. So this is Doug Mensch and Devin Grayson with, of course, Jim Ballant still doing the art. What you need to know, growing up on the streets of Gotham City, Selina Kyle was inspired by Gotham's other vigilante, Batman. Now as Catwoman, she dresses up like a cat and steals from the rich to give to, well herself. The good! Catwoman's got her personality back, particularly with Devin Grayson's issues. With Grayson as the new regular writer on the book, readers can peek more inside Kyle's criminal mind. Trapped in an elevator during Gotham's earthquake, Catwoman freaks out until her survival instincts kick in and she saves herself. Even Catwoman's civilian persona is getting some personality. When her apartment's annoying doorman beefs up security, after she casually mentions some guys bothering her, Kyle jokes to herself, quote, Note to self, frame doorman for building theft. <laughs> Jim Ballant's art is perfect. Sorry, we couldn't resist. It's smooth, energetic, and his rendition of Catwoman is the sexiest we've ever seen. And a neat little touch is that Ballant hides a tiny little cat or cats somewhere on just about every cover. The bad. No matter how great she looks, Catwoman's plots are predictable and sometimes downright hokey. Take the headhunter serial killer storyline that wrapped up in issue number 53. Turns out the killer was really a cop Kyle was dating. 
Even if you hadn't been following the Headhunter subplot for a while, you could see this revelation coming from a mile away. Then there's Caddy's unlikely team-up with the Huntress, which was extremely forced. Particularly its ending, where Huntress turned on Catwoman. Even semi-interesting plots like number 55 falls flat. Someone stalking Kyle, sending her tickets to the Broadway production of Cats, and notes reading, I know who you really are. But after she goes undercover and interacts with the guy in disguise, you never find out why he was after Kyle in the first place. Plus, we're supposed to believe a stalker wouldn't notice a strangely familiar woman with the exact same build was around him all those times? The dialogue, mainly in 51 to 53, is stilted and forced, adding virtually no depth to the characters. And speaking of characters, there's no supporting cast. Sure, later issues flesh out her neighbors a little, but for the most part, the only semi-recurring players are Kyle's 19 pet kitty cats. The Buzz. The recent Cataclysm storyline brought more readers to this title, and with Grayson as Catwoman's regular writer and artist, Ballant not going anywhere, he's penciled every issue of the series. Expect this book's following to continue. The skinny, weak characterizations, predictable plotting, and virtually no supporting cast make Catwoman a pretty dull book starring a pretty character. But with Grayson on board, the stories are picking up as she adds some much-needed depth to Gotham's premier thief. The grade? A C. Once again, C plus for Cable, a C for Catwoman. How could they resist? What I find interesting about this, though, in reading through these report cards and these reviews they've been doing the last year, they were really hard also on some of the Batman books, and I think Shadow of the Bat in particular, Detective Comics, saying, like, just the stuff didn't wrap up. And I'm pretty sure Doug Mensch was writing those as well. So it seems like they have a problem with his writing in particular. That might be the, the issue here. Maybe at this time he was just running out of steam. But anyway, there you go. There's the report card for this issue. Now before we get out of here, one thing I wanted to share with you, uh, on our Patreon, one of the things we do every month is Michael and I just get together and we will kind of just chat of what is going on in our various fandoms, you know, comic books, but just different collecting and things that are exciting us, as well as giving previews of what is upcoming on the podcast. As you know, our patrons receive things sometimes two, three weeks early. They're getting uncut episodes. They're getting the updates on our guests that we've booked and things like that. So Michael recently went to the New York Comic Con where he spent the whole time there just really reaching out to all the comics pros. And it turns out being wizards, the podcast guide to comics, got us into some great places. So I wanted to share a little bit of that conversation with you here so that you could understand what is to come. This is some of the benefits of being a patron over there. Michael went to New York Comic Con this weekend and you were shilling for wizards. You were connecting <laughs> with everybody. You got to tell us about this. So, you know, I've gone to New York Comic Con. I guess it's probably a little less than a dozen times over the last, you know, 15 years or so. And always as a patron, not as like members of the press or whatever, you know. So I decided, hey, I'm going to give it a shot and I'm going to apply for a press pass because of the podcast. And magically, they approved me. And I will never not go as press again because it was <laughs> so amazing. First of all, like if you've ever been to New York Comic Con, there are tremendous lines just to even get in the building. Like you have to get there at like seven o'clock in the morning and stand in line, usually in the cold, to get in by 10 a.m. And then they just herd you like cattle from one place to the next and so on and so forth. I said, oh, I'm here to go to Will Call for a press pass. They're like, right this way, sir. Go into these doors. I walked in and they're like, show me your driver's license. I said, here, here's your pass. Go right through. 
no x-rays, no metal detector, nothing. Now, I'm curious, when you applied, did you have to, like, send any credentials for the show? Like, what, what did they ask for? Basically, they wanted our Instagram link, our Facebook link, and our, like, iTunes link. Okay, so if you're legit and you have all those things and you got yeah. enough followers, they approve you probably. Yeah, that was it. That's all I had to do when I filled the application. Okay, great. Sounds good. And I think I even added in the YouTube channel just for fun. It's a very different experience when you have this like press pass, they see you and they sort of like ushered me through the minions of people and let me go. I was like, I got to go to Artist Alley right this way, sir. We'll take you there and sort of whisked me away to Artist Alley. And then, you know, I was walking around and I was just, I had business cards and I had our stickers and I just went up to creatives. Uh, you know, I started actually with Keith Williams and I said, hey, you know, I'm a big fan of yours. We have the wizard. He's like, you're wizard. He's like, I want to be on your podcast. And I was like, well, here's a business card and here's a sticker. Email us and we'll get you on the show. And that sort of just set the tone for me. I was like, wow, it's that easy. So I had a list of names I wanted to go to and I just started ticking down the list. Only ones that I couldn't get to, Chris Claremont had a line like he was Bono or Bruce Springsteen. It was insane. <laughs> So this is what was really crazy. I went over to Terry Dobson. I went over to Greg Pack. I went over to Eric Larson, who just chatted me up for 10 minutes. He was like, oh, I love Wizard. Wizard was great. He's like, here's my personal email. Send me an email. I'll be on your show. Just spell my name right, is what he said. <laughs> E-N, not O-N. Yeah, we yes. got it, Eric. Don't worry. What was so funny, I'm talking to him. Right. And then we chatted for, like I said, maybe about 10 minutes or so. Other artists and writers were coming up to him like fanboying out. Like, why are you here? What are you doing here? Why are you not like in a bigger booth? He's like, this is where I want to be. I want to be right here on the ground where the fans can come up to talk to me. Like they were like, why aren't you like with Jim Lee and like these big private spaces? He's like, no, 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 no. That's not me. I want to be here talking to everybody one-on-one -on -one. And, and like creatives were just like, wow, Eric Larson is just here hanging out with us talking. And it was kind of cool to see that sort of thing. And so he was really cool. Then I popped over to Mike Mayu and chatted with him. And I was online getting comics graded through CGC and got some things autographed and whatever and had to go through the process of doing all that and I'm just chatting with them and I gave them a business card and gave them a, you know the sticker and they're like wow that's cool man people just liked free stuff like I guess because they're so used to just doing everything for somebody else to being giving even a, a sticker was just like Wow. Holy crap. Well, really I mean, cool. Also, just seeing that wizard style logo, right? Like it just yeah. brings back so many memories for people. They must get super excited. And, you know, I'm sure there's some confusion where they're like, wait, is wizard back? Are you guys officially a wizard sponsor podcast? Well, we're as close as you can get. You that, know, that's kind, that's kind of what I said. Yeah. I said, I said, we're about as close to being the official wizard podcast as you possibly can get. My big gets were I wanted to get uh, Kevin Eastman and I wanted to get Jim Lee. And so I go over to the Jim he had Jim Lee had like a fortress built around him. Well, I can't believe you got to him. That's why I was just like, I would expect his line or whatever to be as big as Chris Claremont's. So well it, it was. And okay. this is the this is the trick. I went to the end of the line where his people were at like 1030 or so, give or take. And he had just started signing. And I spoke to his handlers and I said, Hey, listen, 
I don't want him to sign anything. I just want to give him something and say hello and introduce myself. And the guy says, okay, come back at one o'clock. The line should be lower and I'll whisk you right in. Well, I come back at one o'clock. I see that same guy. The line is three times as long as it was at 1030. And I said, hey, uh, we spoke about, you know, two hours ago. Uh, You told me to come back at one o'clock. Well, here I am. And he goes, you're right. I did say that. I did promise you that. And he just cut in front of everybody and said of his word. He's like, hi, Jim Lee. This guy wants to give you something. And we chatted for a minute or two. I didn't want to like be kind of greedy because people were waiting forever to meet him. But I said, you know, hey, you know, I'm one of the co-hosts of the Wizard podcast. He's like, Wizard? They're back? I said, well, sort of. We kind of you know, do a retrospective of all the issues and stuff like that. And we talk about you literally every week. And I said, we even have a poll with you and Todd McFarlane. That's awesome. He's, he's like, really? I was like, yeah, we got like a running tally of how many times the magazine mentions you guys. And he goes, <laughs> who's winning? And I said, you are. <laughs> he's like, wow, that's cool. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> so I gave him the sticker and I gave him the business card. I said, hey, you know, check us out. You know, yeah, everyone to reach out. Here's our QR code and email address. But, you know, just so that he knew he existed. I said to myself, if I could get to Jim Lee, I can get to Kevin Eastman. <laughs> and so I went over to his line, which was also quite long, and just caught in front of everybody else and said, hey, I'm from the Wizard podcast. He goes, I love Wizard. I was like... Okay, cool. And then it was it's a combination of saying the word wizard and having the press pass. And in a few cases, you know, mentioned that we had had Ron Mars on the show and, and Jimmy Palmiotti. And the, the, it kind of gave us a level of credibility. And each one of them, I probably talked to 15 or 20 creatives, and they all had positive memories about the magazine and, you know, were excited about it. Several of them were like, I want to be on your show, expect an email from me or here, contact me, you know, here's my personal email address and so on and so forth. And they were just like excited to reminisce. Oh, I got to ask though. So obviously you were there, you know, physically handing stuff to the pros. Did anybody ask for you like, oh, what's dude? Do you have a sticker? Can I get a sticker? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Tons of people I was standing in line with, like people our age, even a little bit younger than us, like in their like early 30s were like, wait, Wizard? Is Wizard back? And I was like, well, we're the podcast for it. Here's a business card. Here's a sticker. And I was just giving them out to people. They were like, that's awesome. What's your Instagram? I'm like, scan the QR code. It'll bring you right to it. And they were very excited about it. Just random people. I was just chatting with throughout the day, just having nice little conversations. I went there by myself and made a handful of like, you know, friends or acquaintances that were just sort of like new of Wizard and were like, I'm a huge Spawn fan. And like, Wizard got me into Spawn and, you know, whatever it might have been. And it was kind of cool to just like hear their excitement about it. And, you know, I wasn't making a big thing about it. Like, oh, who, who I think I am. But I'm just like, hey, you know, here. Thanks. Take a listen. Here's our business card. Here's our, you know, sticker. I went to a lot of comic book shops as well because they have booths there as well. Yeah. And I, and I was talking to them too. And if I bought something, I would also give them a sticker and a business card. And a few of them were like, oh, I'm going to put this sticker on our register in our shop. Or like, we've got a wall of stickers. We're going to put this up there so that everyone sees it. And that was kind of cool. They're like, wow. Oh, that's awesome. Or like, I went to see this one guy. It's called St. Mark's Comics. And I bought some stuff from him years ago. And I went back uh, this year because I like the guy. He's a nice guy. He's you know mom and pop store. And 
I bought a couple of action figures, mostly for my kids. And I said, oh, I bought something from you a few years ago and I just liked our conversation. But now I am you know, doing this podcast. He's like, oh, wow, that's so cool. I said, here's a sticker. I was like, that's so awesome. I'd love to be on your show. Like Wizard was one of the reasons why I got into comics and now why I own a comic shop. And then there was another place called Collector's Cave, which is a place in, the, in New York and they are a big comic shop and they were like we love wizard we have like graded issues of wizard magazine some of that it was just kind of cool to hear people talk about the memories of the magazine that's great and i think what we've learned from this your whole story here michael is that there's only one person in the universe who doesn't like wizard magazine his initials are rl and it's not stein (laughs) yes yes All right. Pretty cool, huh? So yeah, so we're definitely reaching out to Eric Larson and a couple more of those folks that we're hoping to get interviewed by the end of the year to bring you some fun and then more to come in 2024. But we're going to wrap this up here. Of course, you know where to stay in touch with us. We're on X at Wizards Comics, on Instagram at Wizards underscore comics, on Blue Sky at Wizards Comics. Of course, if you want to join us over there, we have a few invitations we can throw your way. It may be uh, where we all go when a paywall comes up and you got to pay to keep access uh, to your accounts. But also, uh, we want you to come and find us on YouTube. We're continuing to try to find new things that we can bring to you there, including some of the interviews that we're doing are now going to be posted on YouTube as well, not just the podcast feed. So that will be great, something you can check out. As well as, if you haven't been over to uh, wizardscomics.com, which is the hub for our archive of over 240 episodes. That's right, if for whatever reason you're podcatcher is acting up it's not working you could always go on over to wizardscomics.com stream directly from that site and enjoy all the past geeky fun that we have brought your way and of course consider getting something extra with patreon.com forward slash wizardscomics guys we really are trying to give our patrons as much as we can whether it is personal one-on-one conversations throughout the week through our various servers places we have to have just general discussions about comics but also we're dropping scans every once in a while for future issues not even like just a full scan of the issue or even just you know an upcoming episode but for example when keith giffen passed away then we just had a full scan of an interview he did many years in the future from the timeline we're at right now so you could read and see what his perspective was there's just a lot going on there you really do get kind of the insider's look at the podcast and it's an international group i gotta tell you people from all over are joining and it's really fun to get a chance to get those perspectives as well but hey again thanks for checking out this episode stay tuned for episode 84 it's just going to be a standard issue michael will not be there but we have michael schwartz who will be joining us it's going to be a very fun conversation there's a lot of great stuff in that particular issue of wizard but hey until next time keep your books bagged and boarded This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.